This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, with the Washington State primary upon us, we convene our expert panel to talk about why this election matters and what Democrats stand to gain in Olympia. We also break down some key races to keep your eye on at the state and legislative level, plus a virtual get out the vote effort that you can join. That is all ahead, so stay with us. So because my listenership is highly active and plugged in, you don't need me to tell you that ballots have officially dropped for this year's state primary and that they are due by Tuesday, August 4th. But I did think that it would be interesting to talk about some of the major races and some of what is at stake in this year's primary here in Washington, and also to get a sense of what is currently happening at the grassroots level to drive turnout. So to do that, we have our panel. Will Casey is communications director for the Washington State Democratic Party. Will, it's good to see you as always. Hey, Stefan. Thanks for having me on. Of course, brother. And Chris Petzold is with us, founder and head of Indivisible Washington's 8th District. Hello, Chris. Hey, Stefan and everyone. Thanks for having me on. So, you know, let's just start by talking about the importance of this primary, because I I think people may have lost interest, not us, certainly, but uh, some people may have lost interest after the presidential primary. So what is at stake with this primary? Well, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's just there's so much that's at stake in the primary election. I mean, I think that uh, if there's, you know, if if people started getting involved this year because of the presidential primary, you know, something that's very important to understand about, you know, where we've got to go in in our country right now is that we can't just stop with taking down the president. Right. Like he's inspired an entire movement of Republican elected officials. And frankly, if there's anybody left uh, in office who's still calling themselves a Republican, it means that they're, you know, fine with uh, what's going on at the White House these days. And so if we're going to, you know, totally stamp out uh, Trumpism, not just Trump himself, uh, we've got to make sure that every single one of these down ballot Republicans pays the price. And that starts with this August 4th primary. Hold that thought, because I have a very direct question about that later. Chris, what does this primary mean to you? Well, I think uh, with any primary, if you are an involved person in, in, in elections and working like we do, you really get a, a really good chance to set the direction of the party. So there's some primary, you know, Democrat on Democrat primary races. And so this is a chance for you to really especially make your voice heard in those kind of situations and l- let the party know where you want it to go. Um, and I think a strong turnout in the primary shows momentum for the Democrats going into November. It's real. I, if we have a strong turnout, and I hope we do, it's really going to make them scared for what's going to happen in November. Absolutely right. And something else that I will note is that the level of engagement uh, this year at the primary level has just been, at least you know, for the work that we're all doing, the activist level has just been off the charts. This is the first time I've ever pulled out a ballot and either have worked directly with or having I've had the pleasure to interview everybody that I voted for this year. So it's a very hands-on affair this year. I want to talk about some of these key state races. Well, let's start with you. Uh, the Secretary of State race is proving to 
to be very important, uh, not only because there is an opportunity to flip a state seat that has been historically Republican, but also because of who is currently in that seat. So uh, talk about Kim Wyman and why she needs to go. <laughs> I'm happy to any day of the week and twice on Thursdays. Um, <laughs> so I I think that something that people may not understand about Kim Wyman is that she you know tries to portray herself as this you know bipartisan leader who stays above the back and forth, um, and that's just nothing could be further from the truth, right? I mean, we have seen over and over and over from this president completely false attacks on the institution of voting by mail. Um, he's claimed it's rigged. He's claimed he's not going to you know, accept the results of the election if it's done by mail. He's even appointed a, you know, a close advisor to be head of the Postal Service, who's already you know, nixed overtime for, for postal workers, which is causing delays in the mail. Mm. Um, and this is all, all intended to be you know, a voter suppression effort. And you know, what has Kim Wyman's been, response been? Nothing. Right. And, and I think the thing that drives uh, me personally, you know, the most crazy about this is that she should be the kind of person who can have a Mitt Romney moment and, you know, really make a name for herself by standing up for, you know, the, the sort of nonpartisan institution of our elections in this country um, and really condemn the president forcefully to, to and, you know, get him to sort of back off. Um, there's very few people in this polarized society that can truly speak to, you know, a, a echo chamber of Republicans that just believe, you know, voting, uh, voter fraud is rampant, even though there's, you know, study after study after study shows it's not. And so, you know, the fact that she's continued to sort of play both sides on this issue and say, oh, well, you know, Republicans worry about voter fraud and Democrats worry about voter suppression. Like, no, one of those things is real. Um, and it's the leader of her party who's doing it. So the fact that she's, you know, not standing up for our, for our, the sanctity of our elections and the integrity of our elections here in Washington state is simply inexcusable. Well, let's also talk about the Democrat who is running Gail Tarleton is she's awesome. Yes. I mean, we couldn't have a better option. And Chris, you know, if you want to jump in and tell, tell me what fires you up about her, Please. Um, I, I'd love to hear it from the grassroots level too. Oh, well, I've heard her speak a number of times and every time I'm just like, oh my God, let's go vote. And she just, she believes in it. And that, and, and that is so refreshing to hear, you know, either we have Trump saying everything is rigged and a fraud to we have, you know, we have nothing, like you said, from Kim White. Kim Wyman, and then you hear from Gail Tarleton, and she's just like fired up and wanting to make sure that everyone votes. And you know, that is our democracy. I mean, that's what it's all about. So, yes, love her. It's yeah. so basic, and she gets it. And we couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't be more enthusiastic in my support of Gail Tarleton. I also want to talk about the lieutenant governor race. So, we know that this is between retiring 10th CD Congressman Denny Heck and state Senator Marco Leas. This is on the Democratic side. I'm just going to address the elephant in the room and say that the reason why this is a marquee race and is getting so much attention is because it is widely speculated that uh, Governor Inslee may get called to a cabinet position in a Biden administration. And I'm crossing my fingers for those who can't see me. So the lieutenant governor would then advance. Chris, what are your thoughts on this race? Uh, I've, I already placed my vote for Lias, um, Marco Lias, and like Gail Tarleton, I've heard him speak a number of times, and I think he's truly impressive. Um, and he, you know, he knows how to get things done in Olympia, which is going to be important, even, you know, no matter what happens with Inslee and all that. He's been um, endorsed by the, 
the outgoing Lieutenant Governor Cyrus Habib. Um, he is in the right camp in terms of tax policy, which is going to be so important going forward here in Washington State. Uh, obviously, strong advocate for LGBTQ rights. Um, I, I just can't wait. I can't wait to see him win. He got an <laughs> endorsement from your home LD, right? Yes, he did. Yeah. Well, Will, so putting all of that aside, uh, you know, beyond the possibility of uh, ascending to the governorship, why does this race matter? Yeah, I think that something that folks might not be aware of at the lieutenant governor position is sort of what that job actually entails day to day. Um, and much like the, the vice president, you know, there's uh, obviously that number two position is, is important, uh, sort of being the next in line. But I think the, the more sort of practical uh, effect that a lot of uh, lieutenant governors who are, who are active um, in that role have is, you know, they're the ones who are making the parliamentary judgments during the Senate. And since we do have a relatively short session um, in our state legislature, the biggest question in terms of advancing progressive priorities is how well, you know, how can we just avoid the obstructionism of the Republicans, right? And they tried every sort of tactic in the book. They'll resort to, you know, hanging dozens and dozens and dozens of inane amendments onto bills. You know, they'll speak at a turn. The chicanery really just knows no bounds. Well, right? we saw uh, that come to a head with the sex ed bill, for sure. Exactly. It was, it was embarrassing. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. It's, it, it was an embarrassing moment for, for the Republican Party. And, and I think that, you know, um, having someone, regardless of, of who comes through as the Democrat um, in this race, you know, who's really willing to sort of get in there and, and take uh, you know, take no prisoners uh, when it comes to, you know, putting up the Republicans nonsense. Um, I think that's that's a good, um, you know, that that's something that we really need here in Washington State. And, and we've been lucky to have it with Cyrus for a little while now and, and looking forward to see who fills that seat in, in 2021. Chris? Yeah, um, I, I found this Marco Elias quote um, in The Stranger. And he, I mean, it's just so perfect. He said, quote, civility is the way the white power structure prevents change. I don't think we should be uncivil, but I do think that placing civil civility as one of our top goals is going to help is make bold change. So he, I mean, he's addressing the whole GOP talking point of civility and um, just calling basically bull on that because it it is it is part of the white power structure. Yeah, I mean it's systemic, and, uh, and GOP and civility has come to be known as an oxymoron. It's just a lot of bad faith. Um, Will you actually wanted to call attention to a Republican PAC who put out a mailer on behalf of 28th LD Senator Steve Oban? Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so I think that this is a good example, sort of as we're all trying to be, you know, helpful activists, especially in social media in a time when we can't go to the door. And so a lot of campaigning is happening online, um, that responding to these kind of bad faith attacks, and, and frankly, you know, I'll get to the details of the flyer in a second, this like racist, um, you know, appeal to voters in the 28th, um, you know, it's, it's hard to know how you can be a helpful and effective advocate without amplifying the actual underlying criticism, right? And so what happened in this case is a PAC that has received contributions, by the way, um, from several uh, key members of the Republican Senate leadership, um, despite the fact that, you know, the Oban campaign has, you know, rightly said that they didn't have anything to do with the flyer since it was a PAC and not their campaign. Um, they 
they darkened the face of Tawana Noble's uh, Steve O'Bannon's Democratic opponent, who's an African-American community leader. She's CEO of the Urban League in Tacoma um, and just an incredible advocate and would be uh, a fantastic voice for us to have in the state Senate. Um, but there's... Frankly, like, you know, it, there was a local TV uh, station that did a, a, a piece exposing the sort of racist attack, and they had a, a great commentary from members of the community explaining how this is a tried and, you know, not effective, but true tactic that Republicans have used for a long time now, um, you know, darkening the skin tone of African-American candidates as a way to sort of, you know, try to make them less popular with, with white voters. Um, unfortunately... In order to do that, they had to show the mail on TV, right. right? And so now this pack that is trying to get you know this message out to people, sure, it's coming with a disclaimer that the message they're pushing is racist, but still, the mailer appeared on television for several seconds. And so when you're you know um, trying to spread news to your networks about you know bad faith attacks that Republicans are are executing on the Democratic candidates you're trying to support, um, just be mindful of you know, how you are sharing that information, right? So we tell um, activists all the time, it's much better to take a screenshot of a bad tweet than it is to quote tweet the person who's saying something, you know, uh, foul, because otherwise you're helping drive traffic to that person's account, right? If you do a screenshot of a Facebook post, it's different than sharing it where, you know, the person who created the offensive content isn't going to get a notification that you're helping amplify their message, right? And so I think that there's, just things to be mindful of when we're trying to push back against these attacks. Obviously, it's a terrible mailer. Obviously, you know, Steve O'Ban's campaign and the pact that sent it and the entire Senate Republican caucus, you know, should be held accountable for resorting to these racist tactics. But, um, you know, we just got to be careful about the way that we, you know, push back on them to make sure we're not inadvertently doing their job for them, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, Chris, you know, you traffic in uh, social media as a grassroots activist. How do you navigate these waters when you want to call something out, but you don't want to amplify it? Yeah, that it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a tough line, isn't it? And um, I use some of the same techniques that Will uh, mentioned, and I just try to be really selective about who I push back on because some of it is just noise and the person doesn't even deserve to be amplified, you know, um, just kind of pick your battles. I think, I mean, this example was so egregious. Um, and I can understand why people are reacting to it, but you just got to, like Will said, just be careful. So, Will, you were talking at the beginning uh, of our discussion about Trumpism, and we know that at the national level, the GOP has been completely taken over by Trump and Trumpism. How are we seeing that manifest at the state level in, say, like the governor's race? Yeah, I mean, I think the truly disappointing uh, thing for me this year, and, and particularly in the middle of this, you know, ongoing pandemic, um, which I will note, you know, is only still really ongoing here because we're we're the only industrialized country that somehow can't get our our stuff together at the federal level and uh, and you know create an effective response to this. But that's that's a different topic. Um, I think that what's what's happened is you know we've had this moment for people to rebuke the president to come together, and, and they've just blown it right. So the the three leading candidates for governor, for example, you know, they're all just different flavors of Trumpism. You've got, you know, Tim Eyman, who's the, uh, you know, con man and, uh, you know, uh, multiple bankruptcies flavor of Trump. Uh, you've got Lauren Culp, who's now said that uh, a, a serial uh, child molester who pled guilty in Benton County um, that he failed to properly investigate and didn't believe the 17-year-old accuser who brought him to her attention. Um, he's now been accused in a lawsuit of, of failing to take that seriously. 
So, you know, if you if you like the uh, uh, offensive comments from Trump about, you know, sexual assaults, great, you've got an option in Lauren Culp. Um, and if you are more in the fa- in flavor of uh, corrupt real estate deals, um, you've got disgraced former Bothell Mayor Joshua Freed uh, running on as the Republican Governor Association's like favorite candidate. And so sort of whoever you're you're looking at at the top of the ticket for the Republicans, it's going to be some version of Trump. And, and as we've seen in poll after poll here, that's just not going to get it done for them in, in Washington state. Come for the corruption, stay for the offensive comments, right? It's just the, the, the three <laughs> flavors, go. the three flavors of Trump. Yeah. You know, I don't even know what the Republicans stand for anymore. I mean, they used to be about, you know, conservatism and not wanting to have more in the deficit and, strong military and all that. But Trump has attacked the military. He's inappropriately used military. They've added $1.5 trillion to the deficit with their tax bill. Like, what does the Republican Party even stand for now? Well, okay. So you've led me directly into my next talking point, which is the importance of voting for a straight blue ticket in 2020. So we can send a message this way, right, Chris? If, if we get everybody to vote straight blue in the Washington primary, it sends a message. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think if we have a strong election in November, strong Democratic turnout and results, I think it's going to send them packing back to their corner to figure out how to regroup and figure out what exactly went wrong. At least I hope. I hope so, too. And uh, who knows what's going to come out of that smoldering mess. Uh, Will, give us your best pitch for why everybody should vote a straight blue ticket in this year's primary. Well, I think it goes back to, uh, you know, how we started this conversation, which is that just anyone who's left calling themselves a Republican in elected office here who hasn't, you know, stood up like, uh, you know, Senator Romney and said, like, I'm voting for impeachment because this man is, you know, corrupt and doesn't deserve to lead our country. Uh, yeah, that's we have to send them packing. Right. Uh, this is something that we used to uh, talk about. And when I my prior life as an attorney all the time, you talk to a jury and you tell them that, listen, they haven't they haven't heard uh society's rules, we have to send them a message they can't possibly misunderstand, right? And an overwhelming loss at every level of government is what it's going to take if we're going to move forward in this country, because unfortunately, uh, and I, and I want to be very clear, this is at the elected official level, right? We've seen widespread, just massive flight from the Republican Party. Right. Democrats in Washington state make about 40 percent of the electorate and the GOP is down to about 26 percent, I think, in the the latest poll, which is a historic low for them. Yeah. And so there is uh, there is a widespread recognition among the voters of this country that this is just unacceptable. But they don't have a voice right now because the elected officials in charge in the Republican Party just refuse to follow, you know, just any sense of morality, honestly. Um, and so we have to up and down the ticket, um, just just kick out every single Republican who's, you know, stood by and f- followed Trump's lead in politicizing masks of, of all things um, when we're all just trying to stay healthy and beat this beat this uh, pandemic. So, you know, that's what we're focused on at the state party here. That's what our coordinated campaign is doing as we're trying to get out the vote um, is just deliver just a resounding loss to every single Republican here in Washington state. Yes, we have a real opportunity here to to flip and pick up for for the Democrats. Now, I've been hosting a series of town halls with 
candidates up and down the ballot, including many legislative races. And I will have a link for listeners in the show notes to uh, all of those uh, town halls that we did. There's some really, really impressive candidates running. And, and even if you don't live in these districts, I think it's a good idea to listen and just know who is out there. Uh, Will, for people who are watching returns, who may not live in some of these districts, but are just interested to see to see where we might pick up, what are some of the districts that we should be watching uh, in, in this year's primary? Yeah. Um, so I'll just do, give a quick tour of, of the uh, of the, you know, sort of highlighted races here in the primary that we're focusing on. Um, and by all means, this is not an exhaustive list. I think that we've seen, um, you know, uh, historic levels of opportunity here, uh, even after how well we did in 2018, given how just tightly to Trump all of these incumbents are clinging when he's so unpopular here. Um, but I think just a, a short you know, list of those, you know, most interesting districts. Of course, uh, we've already talked about the 28th LD with Tuana Nobles. Um, that's going to be a very important race. Um, I think, you know, the 25th LD with, uh, you know, Julie Dore, she's, and Jamie Smith, those are, you know, races to watch. Um, I think that we're going to have some very close uh, races up in the 10th LD in Northwest Washington. Um, in Southwest Washington, the 17th LD, which is just sort of suburban Clark County, um, that's got a very interesting Senate and House race. Um, and then, you know, of course, in Eastern Washington, um, the 16th LD has just a incredible slate of candidates um, led by uh, Danielle, who's running the Senate race. She is just a fantastic speaker. If you haven't had a chance to to listen to her, um, and then of course, you know, uh, a race I've been you know personally invested in for quite a while now um, has been the 4th LD, which is you know historically extremely conservative, but uh, that's sort of Matt Shea's old stomping grounds. And now that we've uh, successfully scared him off the ballot. Um, we can look forward to, you know, uh, a truly competitive race, despite some sort of last minute uh, shenanigans they tried to pull to uh, match Lori Fagan, who's, um, you know, the outstanding candidate in, in Spokane Valley um, against incumbent uh, representative and, you know, sort of Shay's uh, number two, um, Bob McCaslin. Great races to watch, all of them. I will tell you, we just this week did a town hall with the 16th LD. They are out in Walla Walla. Uh, and uh, as you say, Daniel Garvey Reeser is just an extraordinary candidate, as are the, uh, the other two candidates who are running on the ticket. I encourage people to go and check that out as well on the podcast. Chris, what uh, LD races are you watching? I am watching the fifth LD, which is where I live. Um, and there is a Democratic primary going on. Uh, the incumbent, my senator, Mark Mullet, um, is being challenged by a nurse from Snoqualmie named Ingrid Anderson. Um, so you have quite a contrast there with Mullet on his position on ways and means has done a good job of blocking all kinds of legislation for schools and everything else. He takes big money from everywhere except for for the fifth legislative district, including oil money, big banking money, and you know that they are trying to influence him and his role um, on the ways and means. And so you have that in contrast with Ingrid, who is a nurse and who is supported by every single labor organization, will fight for the people. You know that she will represent us, the people, when she's in Olympia, not the big, big donors, big dark money. So that is the race that I'm particularly watching. Excellent. Well, if the Dems extend margins in both chambers in Olympia, a lot can happen. And I would just love to kind of get you guys to speculate a little bit here. So we keep the Democratic governor. We have larger extended margins in the Senate and in the House. What legislative agendas do you see as possible for advancing, Will? I mean, I don't think there's 
uh, a, there's no end to the policy that we could be passing, right? I mean, I think, you know, if, if we have supermajority in either house um, of the legislature, I think that there's going to be a strong progressive agenda. You know, of course, you know, there's before the pandemic, we were already dealing with a crisis on climate change. Um, and then, you know, of course, also, we do have the economic recovery that we've got to deal with now, because, you know, unlike every other industrialized country that got their, you know, act together on testing, tracing and, you know, mask compliance, uh, the president has just not done anything really, uh, to help the states uh, deal with this, you know, ongoing um, economic and public health crisis. So, I mean, everything is going to be on the table and we've got a huge budget shortfall to deal with, but you know, we need to not have to be negotiating with the Republicans to make sure, you know, we can protect the programs that are serving, you know, working families and our, our children and our seniors, as opposed to, you know, just using this as another opportunity for tax cuts for big business. Yeah. And one of the things that we likely won't see with uh, larger democratic margins is uh, austerity budgets. So that's, uh, that, that's positive. Chris, what are you hopeful for? I, I know that uh, there has been talk about uh, capital gains possibly going through. What, what, what are you thinking about for 2021? Yeah, I mean, uh, the key is just what you said is we need to push back against the instinct that may be there to have austerity budgets in the in the face of the huge uh, shortfall that we've had this year due to the pandemic and due to our tax structure, which is uh, 85% based on um, us all spending money, which we haven't been able to do um, in large part because of the, the pandemic. So push back against austerity. We need to, as you said, look at the tax structure. And I think that if we widen our margins um, in both houses, we'll be able to do that finally. Um, and I know there's a lot of fear and concern about that, but we absolutely have to do it because we're the the, the most regressive uh, tax structure um, in the whole United States. I mean, how embarrassing is that? Um, and I hope that they'll continue the work um, um, that they started um, on health care, which is a really important issue, a winning issue for Democrats. And um, obviously the climate crisis. Um, those are those are two things that I'm watching. Well, there's a lot of possibility. And even in spite of what Will was talking about with, with the budget shortfalls, I, I think we still have the opportunity to, to do some meaningful work in 2021. And so that means getting out the votes. Uh, Will, I know that the Washington State Democrats have uh, what is, is called a Washington Dems Get Out the Vote Tour, GOTV Tour. Uh, tell us about that, man. Yeah. So uh, unlike uh, the Republicans, we are taking uh, the pandemic very seriously. And so we have moved our traditional um, get out the vote tour where our chair, Tina Podlanowski, would sort of go around the state to all of our different field offices, meet with our, our volunteers and, uh, you know, sort of amp up our, our last sort of week and a half push to get everyone to get those ballots in. Um, so instead, this year, we're doing it virtually. Um, it'll be on our Facebook uh, page, on our Facebook live stream, if you want to watch. Uh, that's facebook.com uh, slash wash Dems. Um, you can just find our live broadcast there. And uh, every day between tomorrow, um, as we're recording this on Thursday, so Friday, the 24th is the, the kickoff date. Um, every day from then until primary day um, at 5 p.m., we'll be doing uh, a, a quick sort of phone bank launch with uh, speakers, elected officials, candidates um, from all across the state. We've got... Um, Mike Pelciotti, candidate for treasurer, is is uh, kicking off our first event 
Uh, and we are just so excited that we've had so many volunteers coming in and, and getting trained. We've made over 375,000 phone calls wow. to try and get the vote out already. Yes. And we are continuing to push. Um, I, I, haven't seen the stats for every other state party, but our coordinated campaign tells me that our single night record of 55,000 calls made in a single evening is better than any swing state in the country. Wow. Um, and that's because we have the best field team, um, I think, of any coordinated campaign going. They've been around since 2018. They were part of the effort that led us to historic uh, majorities in the state house and state senate. Um, and so, if you've never phoned back before, no worries. We've got the best trainers you can find. Um, and you know, of course, there's lots of great candidate campaigns that are also going to be, you know, recruiting people. And you know, definitely, you know volunteer for the people that you care the most about. But if you're just like I am, I just want to take down every single Republican who's, you know, had the audacity to stay in the party, um, you know, <laughs> join us at, uh, at, at, at facebook.com slash wash Dems. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it, impressive numbers all the way around. Chris, you and I obviously have not been able to go canvassing uh, together this year, but tell us a little bit about some of the things that Indivisible has been doing uh, in advance of the primary. Yeah, we've been, I mean, I feel like we've been going since, I don't know, maybe like March. Uh, we have a, in our indivisible group, indivisible Y8, we have a hashtag do the work. Um, and that's what I really believe in is, you know, we can fret and cry and all of that is um, very reasonable, but we're not going to enact any change in, unless we hashtag do the work. Um, and so we have been um, sharing information from all the different campaigns uh, that, that are, you know, aligned with our indivisible uh, vision. And um, on August 1st, we're having um, the first phone bank we have ever organized as a team. Normally we just share information about other you know, opportunities, but we're going to be phone banking for our uh, representative Kim Schreier, uh, representative, state representative uh, Milan Tai, and uh, state representative Bill Ramos, which are three um, candidates that we obviously support um, and we're hosting a phone bank. And this is part of a national day of action that Indivisible is hosting. Um, and so, I feel I feel good. I feel a little bit of hope, you guys. Um, you too. But, uh, yeah. yeah, that doesn't mean we have, I mean, we have to hashtag do the work, um, but I, I feel some hope coming in. Yeah, I feel hopeful too. Um, this feels like the, the, the wind is at our back, but we don't want to get cocky. So, you know, got to do the work. All right, you guys, this has been fantastic. Thank you for taking the time, Will Casey. Yeah, thank you, Stefan. Uh, as you know, uh, the motto I live by for the rest of the election cycle is worry about everything, panic about nothing. I like so. that. Yeah. I think you stole that from somebody. And I think I yes, know who. Yes, Dan Pfeiffer, for sure. Yes. <laughs> Chris Petzold is always my friend. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hashtag do the work. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org, and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc., and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Colwell, and as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.